I have for, uh, for a number of months been doing some, some in-depth studying in, in the Lord's Prayer and in the 23rd Psalm. You know, Dr. Rutland came with us, came here about four years ago and, and introduced his book, 21 Seconds to Change Your World, where he kind of unpacked it uh, from, a, from, a, uh, from his standpoint, and it's been such a part of who we are. We say the Lord's Prayer every service that we come together on Sundays, or most every service. And uh, I don't know, back, I guess, in early summer, I just started feeling uh, this quickening in my spirit that I needed to kind of unpack these again for us. And obviously, I'm not Dr. Rutland. By the way, I was with him this week uh, up in Atlanta. He sends his greetings to Generations United Church, and he'll be with us in, uh, in March again. And, but um, as I've dug into these two passages, I've just found some things that that were not in his book or anything like that, and just some things that have been very personal to me. And I've tried to share those with you. We shared with you on the two Sundays on the Lord's Prayer a few weeks ago. Today we're going to start with a couple of weeks on the 23rd Psalm. So what I'd like for you to do is, uh, if you've got your tablets, go ahead and turn there, your Bible, whatever, Psalm 23. Uh, it'll be on the screen back here. And what I want us to do is just out loud, uh, I want us to say this, this psalm together this morning. We're going to use the King James Version of the Bible. I rarely use that. But it has, it has such a uh, poetic nature to it when you read it. Uh, and as you, know, you know well know that I've told you many times, most of my memory memorization scripture from my childhood in Sunday school was in KJV. Uh, and, and as I've grown older and got involved in more translations and read more and more translations, now it's KJV, MEV, NIV, NLT, Message, Phil, all of these other things. And so it kind of takes on a life of its own. But I will say this, of all the translations, the King James Version is probably the easiest to memorize because of the way it's written, the poetic side of the way it's written. So let's read this together. Psalm 23, beginning with verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beautiful. It's a beautiful psalm. But I found out a couple of things as I've read this and been studying this over the last few months. And, and the first thing is this. We can't really appreciate the 23rd Psalm apart from something that Ezekiel, the word spoke through the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, it's against the backdrop of all these false shepherds who had abused and oppressed the children of Israel at the time. And God promised to return, his people, to, to return to his people as their shepherd and to give them rest. Listen to this, okay? This is Ezekiel 34, 11 through 15. It's not on the screen, but just listen to it. I want to read it. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing land, ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. They will lie down in good grazing ground and they will feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest 
declares the Lord God. That's God speaking to Israel through the prophet Ezekiel years after David wrote the poem the 20, that we know as the, the 23rd Psalm. As we break this down today, though, I want you, we're going we're to talk a lot about the, uh, the whole context of Psalm 23. But the thing that you have to understand, I think, before anything else, and this is what I've learned in recent weeks, and that is this. Unless you read the 23rd Psalm from the perspective of a sheep, you will miss the meaning. So we're going to talk a lot about sheep over the next couple of weeks. A lot about sheep. Actually, as I've studied this out, I've actually been a little mad at God. Been a little, and I know you never get that way, okay? I, but as pastors, we get that way sometimes because we find out stuff that we didn't know, and then it kind of insults our intelligence. And so, as I've read this and begin to realize, I started, I started studying more on sheep. I thought I knew a lot about sheep. Uh, grew up, you know, around the outdoors and my, you know, and farming and all this kind of stuff when I was younger. And my grandfather was a farmer and and all this kind. Of, we didn't have sheep, but I mean, how different from cows can they be, right? You know. Oh, my word. And then you have God. He calls us sheep all the time. You know, we're the sheep of his pasture. All this guy, we're called sheep all the time. And that's the piece as I began to unpack, unpack this, I began to realize, I don't want to be called a sheep. That, I don't know. I do not know if there's a less intelligent animal God ever created than a sheep. I just, that, that animal, the sheep, is absolutely the, the, I know there's small children in here, so I'm trying not to say words y'all don't want said in your house, you know, but I'm telling you, a sheep is dumb. I mean, they're just ridiculously dumb. And uh, so, and this is the animal that God calls us by. The analogy he uses for every one of us that, that claim to be a child of God, he calls us sheep. And I'm just going, I have a master's degree. I've been pastoring for 36 years. I'm, I'm not dumb, but yet God says, Phil, you're a sheep. I'm a sheep. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the deal with this thing. And so as, as I've unpacked this, I'm going to help you unpack it today over the next couple of weeks. And we, we need to get into this or we're, or we're not going to get it done in two weeks. But here's, here's where it starts. It starts off with saying this, the Lord is. Okay, the Lord is. Now, we're not going to, we'll talk about my shepherd in just a minute. But let's stop here. The Lord is. What, is that, what does that say to us right off the bat? What is David saying? The Lord is. The Lord is what? It reminds me of what God said to Moses uh, at the burning bush. And Moses goes, what am I, who am I supposed to tell Pharaoh is coming and, and who sent me? He goes, you tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. You know, God has this weird sense of humor. When it comes to telling his prophets and his leaders to do certain things, and here he's telling Moses, you go tell the king of all the known, the Egyptians, this Pharaoh who is godlike to all the people of Egypt, you tell him that I am sent you. Well, what does that mean? Here David is going, the Lord is. What does that mean for you and I? It means this. He is and he sees everything. God sees everything. There is, the Bible talks about nothing is, is hidden from God's eyes. Nothing. Doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter when you do it, guess what? God sees it. It always bothers me when people go, when, when someone gets found out they're living in this weird life and, and, and double life or something, and people go, well, they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have confessed that they hadn't been caught. Here's what I want you to all to understand based on the 23rd Psalm this morning we're all caught. 
The Lord is, and he sees everything. You were caught before you did it. When you thought about it, God knew it. When you did it, God saw it. When you covered it up, God knew where it was hidden. The Lord is, and he sees everything. Nothing is hidden, and nothing can be hidden from him. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, who? God. Not in the beginning, the earth. Not in the beginning, the stars. Not in the beginning, the water. Not in the beginning, the creation. In the beginning, God. The Lord is. The Lord is. Creator. Savior. Healer. Redeemer. My deliverer, he is my very present help in trouble. The Lord is my rock, the Lord is my fortress, the Lord is my shepherd. He is all of these things, the Lord is what? Whatever you wanna put him, the Lord is that to you. If you will allow him, he will be anything that you need. Why the word I am in Genesis, or in, in Exodus, why I am? Because he wants you to understand that he is everything that you could possibly need. The Lord is. But David says something very specific. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. Why shepherd? Is it because David was a shepherd as a little kid? Matter of fact, when he was, when he was anointed king, uh, he wasn't even called to the meeting with the prophet to begin with. It was just his brothers. They all looked like a king could possibly look. They were big, muscular guys. They looked kingly. Samuel looks, and he, he walks down. He goes, nah, none of these guys. Is, is this all your boys? And Jesse goes, well, <laughs> well, no, there's one more. But he's out there in the field. He's just a little guy. He's in the field taking care of the sheep. And Sam says, Go kid, bring him back here. And as soon, here's little David walks in. He, he, he doesn't know what's going on. He walks into this scenario, and he walks up, and here's this old grizzly-looking, weird-looking guy. He doesn't know the prophet from anybody. And he walks up, and his dad says, Son, this guy wants to take a look at you. Samuel looks at him, opens up a can of 30-weight motor oil and pours it over his head and turns and walks away. Now, David's standing there. He's covered in oil. He's looking at his dad going, how am I going to get this mess off of me? And his dad says, go back to the sheep, son. He's anointed king, doesn't really realize, realize, read the story. He doesn't really realize what's going on. But because of David's upbringing, because of his background, he, he knew sheep. But he also knew the other side of it. He knew what it was to be a shepherd. He knew what was required of the shepherd. He says this, the Lord is my shepherd. Charles Spurgeon said, before a man can truly say the Lord is my shepherd, he must first feel himself to be a sheep by nature. And I talked about that a little bit earlier. Where he cannot know what God is, that, that God is the shepherd unless he feels in himself that he has the nature of a sheep. He must relate to a sheep, get this, in its foolishness, its dependency, and in the warped nature of its will. Aristotle. A sheep is a foolish and sluggish creature aptest of anything to wander. Though it feel no want and unable to return, a sheep can make no shift to save itself from tempest or inundation. There it stands and will perish if not driven away by the shepherd. David saw God as the shepherd, but he saw God's people as sheep. Why? He was a shepherd. He was a warrior. He was a king. 
He saw his people, God's people, as sheep, so we could learn about the shepherd and see just how important a shepherd is in the life of sheep. To see and show us how tenderly a shepherd cares for the sheep. Sheep are defenseless animals. They are prone to getting lost. They need constant care or almost constant care. You can't drive, and I, I, as I studied this, I, I remember years ago, I saw something, and I'll share that in just a minute, but you can't drive sheep the way you drive cattle. You can't drive them that way. They've got to be led. Sheep will not be driven from behind. You can't push them toward a water source. You've got to get in front of them, and you have to lead them wherever they go. David explains that if we follow the Lord and trust him, that he's going to meet our every need no matter what the circumstances may be. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd, my personal God, my personal shepherd. He is mine. I am his sheep. I am his child. Thus, I am his sheep. I am a child of God. I belong to him. And because of that, he says, I shall not want. Years ago, we were, Kim and I were out in Arizona visiting her family and, and, uh, We'd been married just a few years, and we were taking a trip up the Grand Canyon, and we were circling around through the Painted Desert and through the Navajo Reservation. And uh, we come over a rise, and, and I looked out there, and there's, this, there's water next to the bridge, which is a really strange sight in, in northern Arizona desert. But there's this water hole out there, and there's just sheep clamoring all around it. But it and it's 100 and it felt like 150 degrees. It wasn't, but it's well above triple digits. It's hot. And none of these sheep were in the water. None of them were drinking water. They were just standing around. And you get out of the car and you hear, meh, meh. That's all you hear. And I'm sitting there going, why don't, they, why don't they drink? If I was a sheep, I would drink. But then I wouldn't. Then I realized I wouldn't. Because here's how I realized that. The shepherd comes over this rise. I didn't see him. He just come walking over the rise with his stick. He walks down. He walks through the sheep, walks into the water hole, takes his staff, does the water this way, and every one of those sheep came into the water. They would not drink in the parching heat of the Arizona desert until the shepherd walked in and put his staff in the water. And then that was, the, they just all came in. Every single sheep on that side, hillside came into the water and told them again to drink. That's the way sheep have to be led. That's the way God wants to lead. I shall not want. The focus of the word want is not so much on the idea of desiring something as it is as on lacking something that's needed. <clears throat> Downside of hitting the iPad, if you hit the wrong button, it goes away. The psalmist does not mean that God shepherds us by giving us everything that we desire, rather that those of us who trust in God as sheep do in a sheep do in a shepherd will never lack for whatever they need. And that, now here's the difference. There's a difference between want and need. You got that, right? There's a difference. There's things you want and then there's things you need. Philippians 4.19 says that God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I shall not want does not mean that I will never have to do without anything or something that I want. I'm a human being. And my humanity gets in the way all too often. I know most of you in here don't have this problem, okay? But Phil Daniels is way too human, and my humanity gets in the way all too often. And sometimes my wants and needs get mixed up. Thankfully, not nearly as bad at this age, at this age that I'm at now, than it is 35 years ago or 40 years ago. But I am human. I've wanted things. I've wanted wrong things. 
things that could hurt me as well as others, as, as well as other people in my life. I like stuff. Remember those commercials, those action packer commercials? You know, you got stuff, we have so much stuff, we got to go buy some stuff to put our stuff in. We put all of our stuff up, get it all organized, then we, we got to have more stuff because we don't have any stuff laying around, so we got to have more stuff. I like stuff. I like toys. I like toys. Now, and I don't necessarily mean the stuff that I, I mean, the difference between a man and a boy is the price of his toys. You understand that, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Figure some guys would get some wiser going, yeah, we know, yeah. I like stuff. I like toys. You know, whether it's, you know, boats or guns, fishing equipment. You know, I, I just like stuff. Most, most of which I could have done without. Kim asked me sometimes, she says, what do you need another gun for? You know? It's a... <laughs> it's a fair question. It's a fair question. I can't, I can't even justify my gun collection based on her shoe collection. <laughs> I look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, no, I'm not dissing my wife. Listen to me. For every pair of shoes, there's an outfit. All right? All I can say for every gun, I got bullets. <laughs> That's all I can say. You know? I can, I can only use one at a time, you know? And so, but I just, I just, I like stuff. You know, most of which of my toys I probably could have done without. And, and, you know, thankfully, Pastor Tommy Brown come to work for me here uh, a couple of years ago. And before he got here, he writes this book on the seven money types <laughs> and reveals everything about me because I'm a Jacob type. You know, and, and it would be one thing if I, if I would buy cheap stuff. But I don't. I don't. You know, I just don't. You know, I've lived much of my younger years. If I wanted something, I would find a way to get it. Work an extra job, sell something to get something else. You know, when Kim and I were first married, we'd only been married about a year, and then I went to the mailbox one day, and there was this envelope, and in it was this little two-by-three piece of plastic. Wow. What I didn't realize, you could take that little piece of plastic and go to the store, and give it to them and take your stuff home. And your cash stays in your wallet. At least for a little while. You just buy, and, and I've never had credit card before. And, and within, literally within probably two or three months, we'd maxed out, the, I'd maxed out, I'd, I had maxed out the credit card on toys and stuff. Oh, we wanted a VCR. Some of you don't even know what a VCR is, but back in those days, they had VCRs, you know. <laughs> And it was, it was like gigantic 8-track tape, which most of you probably don't even remember an 8-track tape. <laughs> but then we spent years trying to dig out of holes because it didn't have any discipline there. If I saw something I wanted, I figured out a way to get it. And it wound up hurting us financially. It hurt us in our relationship. It hurt us in our homes. And we spent years. And we had school loans on top of all that, all, all, everything that goes along with that. Everybody wants stuff. Everybody wants stuff. David wanted stuff. David knew exactly what he's. Look, David wanted stuff that he, he shouldn't have had. Bathsheba. Look at, look at that debacle. There's something inside of us. There's something in our humanity, our earthness. We talked about that during the, the Lord's Prayer message. In earth. There's something about our earthness 
that is bent toward wrong things, and that piece of us has to be put to death. But it can only be put to death if we view ourselves as a sheep that is being taken care of by the great shepherd. When we step back from what we want, you say, well, the Bible says, I shall not want. That's not what that means. There's a, there's a, a children's Bible, and I believe it's the New Century version of the children. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I will have everything that I need. Just puts it in very, very childlike terms. That's the true translation of this passage. The want there is not the desires of our heart, the things that we don't really need. It's about taking care of the things. God says, I will meet every need of your life according to my riches in Christ Jesus. I shall not want cannot be construed to mean that God will give me everything my sinful heart could ever desire. Because there are those things that are not in and of themselves bad for me. But the humanity in me needs limitations. The, man, the humanity in you needs limitations. It's like taking, look, I can take my two grandsons to the, to the store, to Walmart. I'm going to go in there to get some purple onions to put in some gumbo or something. And, and before we have to leave, we've got to go through the sporting goods and toy section. And, and everything on the shelf, Braden wants fishing equipment. Everything in Walmart, every, every rod, reel, every lure, every hook, every, everything that they have. Braden wants that to go in his tackle box, and his tackle box is only this big. Connor, on the other hand, wants every toy on every shelf. If it's a Nerf deal, he wants it. And he doesn't want the single shot Nerf thing. He wants the one that just, you can, I can just spray you down. Bah, 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 bah. He just loves toys. But if, I, if you don't say no to him, he will fill up the buggy with his wants. We cannot give our children, our grandchildren, we cannot give them everything and we shouldn't try. Sometimes it's not even because you can't afford it. Sometimes it, no is just the appropriate answer. Because it's not good for us to have everything we want whenever we want it and immediately when we want it. No, I like what Dr. Rutland said in his book. He said, a life without limits is a life without maturity. A part of growing up. You say, well, I just, that just sounds boring, Phil. It may sound boring, but there's got to be limits in our life. And the shepherd is the one that determines those limits. The Lord is my shepherd. I will have everything that I need, not everything that my, my human heart desires. Sometimes God has to say no to us. Sometimes God says no to the things. We, we, we go, no, God doesn't say no to us. God doesn't ask. God answers prayer in three ways. Yes, no, and wait a while. That's how he answers prayer. Sometimes he says yes to what we're wanting and what we desire. Yes, it's according to his will and where we are in our, in our spiritual walk. He will say yes to us. But there are those times as well that the shepherd looks at us as a sheep and we go, bah, I want this, that, bah, I want that. He goes, no. Now, there's a whole doctrine that's floating around Christianity. It's been floating around for 40 years now that says all you have to do is name it, and then you claim it, and it's yours. And I'm telling you today, if you're trying to live your life that way, that is backwards from Scripture. But God says he's going to give me the desires of my heart. That is true, as long as your heart is in line with his heart. That's the caveat that we miss when we pray in according to his will. But hey, 
Don't take my word for it. Take the Apostle Paul's word. He said, I had something that I wanted God to do in my life. I asked him three times, and three times he said, no. God said no to the Apostle Paul. And I don't know about you, but if he said no to Paul, he's surely going to say no to Phil. Because we're not on the same plane by any stretch of the imagination. He's going to say no to all of us. Because the shepherd knows what we need, even before we ask. Yes, God desires to bless us. But the term I shall not want is both a declaration and a decision. I shall not want means all my needs are supplied by the Lord, my shepherd. It means that it's a declaration. All of my needs come from God. The second is, is the decision. I shall not want also means that I decide. I decide not to desire more than what the shepherd, my shepherd, gives me. I shall have everything I need is about contentment. Philippians 4, talks, Paul talks about this. He says, he says, I have learned in whatever state I'm in, whether in wealth or poverty, whether well-fed or hungry, whether cold or warm, whether in shelter or out in the cold, I have learned the, the secret to being content. And I will live in contentment. And here's, what he, here's how he closes that, that verse out. Whether well-fed or hungry, in poverty or in want, I can do all things through him. Who is him? The shepherd. Paul's shepherd. My shepherd. Your shepherd who gives me strength. Look, I don't want you to think for a minute that God's not a good God, because he is a good God. His ways are higher than our ways. We don't understand some of the things that he allows and some of the things that he does. But his will for us is good. His will for us is to bring a hope and a future into our life. He does not will for me to live my life in abject poverty. He does not will for my children to suffer hunger. God is a God of abundance and mercy and generosity. He teaches me to live in contentment. But he will not oppress us with want. Look at the next one. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. If you want to read a good book, get the book A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. Philip Keller is a South African sheep farmer. He says this, Sheep do not lie down easily and do not lie down at all unless four conditions are met. Because they're timid, they will not lie down if they're afraid. Because they're social animals, they will not lie down if there's friction among the sheep. In other words, if one sheep gets mad at another one, the whole herd stands up and they're all kind of like, ah. You know, or more like, meh, meh, meh. They will not lie down if there's friction in the herd. If flies or parasites or flying around and troubling them, they will not lie down. And finally, if sheep are anxious about food or hunger, or they're hungry, they will not lie down. The only way a sheep can find a place of rest is if, if that shepherd has dealt with fear, friction, flies, and famine. I remember years ago, I'd just come to church here, come to this church to work, probably 1986, 87, and, uh, and Brother Skipper, who I worked for at the time, he, he just said this one day. We were just talking about stuff, and he said, Phil, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, you need to learn this truth now. He said, if you don't take time to be well, I can assure you, you will take time to be sick. And he was right. If you don't take time to be well, he makes me lie down in green pastures. How does he do that? 
How does the great shepherd do that? By taking our fears. By bringing peace where there's friction. By dealing with the attacks of the enemy. And by making sure that we have bread to eat when it's time to eat. And when all the four of those things are met, the sheep lie down and the sheep can rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Here's one I didn't know. Sheep will not drink from moving water. If they come up to a creek and they're thirsty, they will not drink from the creek because the water's moving. They only drink from quiet waters, still waters. Some say it's because the wool of their wool coat. If they fell in, they would sink under the weight. They probably can't swim because they're kind of like, meh, all the time, and they just probably can't swim that well. And they get wet in that wool coat, and it's like, I don't know if that's the deal or not, but I do know that sheep need a shepherd who is sympathetic to their fears and insecurities, who will guide them and lead them to still, quiet waters. Hebrews 4.15 says this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He leads us beside still waters because he knows how our struggles feel. Jesus was tempted in every way as we. He dealt with everything that you and I have ever had to deal with, yet he was without sin. And he said this to us, he said, peace that I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Paul reiterated when he said in Philippians 4, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He leads me beside still waters. And then the last one we're going to cover today is this. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. The center of the ministry that Kim and I have been doing here for the last 26 years as your pastors can be summed up in one word, and that's restoration. The heart and soul of everything that Kim and I do is, as a ministry team, as a ministry couple, is to ensure that this house is a house of restoration and healing. To make sure that we understand that God does not want us to remain broken. That he wants to move us from a place of brokenness to a place of wholeness. For some, it takes a long time. For others, it takes a short time. But for all of us, for all of us, from brokenness to wholeness is God's, is God's reality and God's will for our life. But there are three things that have to happen. If we're going to have our, store, our soul restored, and, I, and some of this I'm just really having to, 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 uh, to wrap my head around after all these years. You say, you should have this by now. I, will, I should be smarter than what I am. But yet I'm still a, Bleh. I'm just a sheep. Rest is the first thing. Rest. David appears to be at rest when he composed this psalm. This psalm was not written early in David's life. This psalm was not written during the, during the years that David was conquering every, every enemy that he had. This psalm was not written around the time that he sinned with Bathsheba. He, censored, he did a census of, of the nation of Israel. It, this was written at the end of David's life when he's looking back over a lifetime how God had led him, how God had directed him, how God had sustained him, and how God had restored him. This was not a song to prepare for battle or celebrate a holy day, but this psalm was a song to enjoy a time of relaxation in God's presence. Rest is something that is of the utmost importance. 
A lot of you probably didn't know this, but, but I spent from, the, from my mid-teenage years until about eight years ago um, with unbelievable insomnia. I just couldn't sleep. I'd go to sleep, I'd sleep for an hour, I'd wake up and be awake for two or three hours. Sometimes I'd go back to sleep, but I, I would go many, many nights and sometimes only get two or three hours of sleep. This went on from the time I was 16 until I was probably 48, 49 years old. I took everything that you could take. I was on prescription sleep meds, even though they quit working. Didn't matter what they gave me, it just didn't work. And about six or eight years ago, we had a, one of our services here. The Lord was moving, and, and, and I just felt the call, if you needed healing in your body, to come forward. And we started anointing people and praying for people here around the altar. And while I'm standing up here, the Lord just said, do you want to be healed? And I said, yes, I do. And about the time I said that to the Lord, I don't even know if she remembers it. Is Karen Goodson in the house? Karen? Karen Goodson, come up. She said, I feel like we need to pray for you. And I went, oh, well, okay. And you guys prayed for me that morning. And I have slept six to eight hours every night since that day. Yeah. And sometimes I get stupid and I, I have too much caffeine after five or six o'clock in the evening and I'll bet and God's going, I, I did my deal. You know. It's all me now. But the other piece of, the other piece of it is, is stepping away from the job for, for short seasons of rest. The board of directors and the board of elders a few years ago said, you will take a sabbatical. And that, that has done more for me to understand this concept of rest than anything else. I always prided myself on never taking all my vacation time. I take my vacation time now. I have to. Not that I don't love you guys. I do. I love you dearly. Sometimes, just as you need to be away from me, I need to be away from you. <laughs> but it's literally, it's, it's literally a time of rest. And if I do what I'm supposed to do during those seasons, whether it's a, a couple of weeks of vacation or whether it's sabbatical, if I take my phone and put it in my nightstand and do not carry the phone, leave the devices alone, if I totally unplug, then I'm rest. I'm, I find myself at rest. So I don't know if I could do that. Try it. It's a wonderful thing. But rest is one of the things that we have to have if we're going to be restored in our soul. The second thing is reflection. I've already said this was written late in David's life. His soul was restored because he looked back from the faithfulness of God perspective. And here's the thing. Faithfulness, and I'm not, I'm not knocking youth. I'm just saying faithfulness is lost on the youth. Because you haven't lived long enough to be able to look back and go, Man, over three decades, I can see the hand of God here and here and here and here and here. Kim and I can stand up here and we can tell you story after story after story after story. We could take an entire day and not cover all the stories of how God has been faithful in our life. When we didn't know how things were going to turn out, God took care of things that there's nothing we could have done. And God's done some really neat things in our life. As we look back now, we've been married 36 years. We look back over those 36 years, and we can mark one event after another. But we can tell you this above everything else, that after 36 years of marriage and 36 years of ministry, God is faithful. Yes. And that's the reflection piece of it. You look back, and you see where God's done some things. You say, we shouldn't live in the past. No, you shouldn't. But you have to have a perspective if you want to really understand God's faithfulness. And the perspective is from the past. 
See how God brought you through those times when, you, when it happened and the event erupted in your life that you thought, I don't know how we're going to survive this. And now you look back and you go, well, God had that. God had that. David understood that. David knew he felt protected, he felt safe, he felt secure under the leadership of God. And then the third thing that we've got to have if we're going to be restored is replenishment. Both rest and reflection lead to a renewed vigor to live for God. This replenishment also includes an anticipation to be with God forever in the future. We'll talk about that next week. But you see, with this perspective, David could live his life with a restored soul prepared for the problems of the day. Kim and I look back in our life and our marriage and our ministry and we see all these things and we see these huge mountains that we, that we didn't know we could ever get through or get over or get past. Circumstances that we thought was literally going to destroy us. But we look back at those things and we see the faithfulness of God and we realize that those things have been a preparation for the next big event that's going to take place. And it will. There'll be something else just over the next rise. There'll be some, some other scenario, some other crisis that you have to face. But if you've got the perspective that God has sustained me to this point, then you go, you know what? He took me from that. He brought me to this place. This is nothing for God. I will trust him. And we move through it. That's the replenishment piece. That's the piece that gives us the restoration of our soul. It's true. Not. If we wish to see God restore our soul, then we've got to take time to rest and reflect and replenish. We cannot expect to live with a fresh sense of God's presence in our life if we constantly rush from one issue to the next. To be restored takes time. Focused on God, focus on his greatness to renew us with hope, with joy regarding this life and the anticipation of eternity. Just as a shepherd leads his sheep to still waters for rest and cleansing, so the Lord restores and refreshes us as well. Two years ago, we started doing this on Wednesday night. We took Wednesday nights off from Memorial Day to when school starts back. We didn't know how that was going to go. But worker after worker, volunteer after volunteer at this church has said thank you for those eight, ten weeks. It gives us a little bit of time to breathe in the summertime. So much so that about a month ago, the board of directors and elders met, and we're going we're gonna to do a Sabbath Sunday, the last Sunday of this year, which means nobody comes to church. <laughs> we're not going to have church the last Sunday of the year. We're encouraging you to take a Sabbath Sunday. Now, that does not mean, well, I've got to be in church, so I'm going to go over here to someone else's church. If you want to do that, that's your business. But take a day of Sabbath. Take a day and just be with your family. The Sabbath is set aside for the three major relationships in your life. God, your spouse, and your children. Take that last Sunday before we go into a new year and just rest and be with your family. It's a Sabbath Sunday. Now, on a side note, just from a pastoral perspective, we're going to have tithing envelopes. You can take them home and mail them. We have stamps on them. You can mail it all back in. You can mail it all back in. But that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. Next week is Thanksgiving week. There's no midweek activities here. The office is closed. We want you to be with your families. Rest. Reflect. Replenish. 
The last of our major activities take place, takes place on December the 18th, on Wednesday night. We have a big church Christmas dinner. After that, it's just one more Sunday. And then we'll be back on January the 5th together for one final time as one major family unit in here. And then on January the 12th, two services launch. So you need to rest on the 29th. You need to rest. Because I'm telling you folks, 20, the year 2020 at Generations United Church, we're going after it. We're going after it. Amen? Come on, give God a praise in this house. Stand to your feet all over the room.